state he was the divine son of God? Or was this an invention of the church centuries later? Why didn't Jesus clearly state he was God in the flesh? Why did he seem to disguise his true identity? Did Jesus understand himself to be the divine son of God? You're listening to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author and teacher in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Skeptics, Muslims, and cult groups claim Jesus never understood himself, nor did he claim to be the divine Son of God. Join Pat today as he reveals Jesus' self-understanding of his own nature and examines what Jesus said about his true identity. Let's join Pat now as he explains the true identity and self-understanding of Jesus. Did Jesus always understand himself to be the divine Son of God? Or was this a later invention of his disciples? Or is it part of revisionist history of the later editors of the New Testament to make Jesus the divine Son of God? Did he always understand himself to be the divine Son of God? Well, you know, that's a question that I get challenged with quite often. Not too long ago, there was a fiction novel that presented the hypothesis that Jesus did not understand himself to be the divine Son of God, but a mere man, a prophet, a good teacher. And his later disciples and the historical revisionists of the New Testament that made him the divine son of God. And not too long ago, I was speaking in North Carolina and there were some students from the University of North Carolina, Muslim students, who came to the conference. And one of the challenges they made is that Jesus did not understand himself to be the divine son of God. This was something created by his disciples who followed him. And one of the things they stated was that if you look in the Gospels, Jesus does not clearly say he is the divine son of God. So what is the self-understanding of Jesus? Was Jesus taught to be the son of God from the beginning? Did he understand himself to be the divine son of God or was it a later creation? Well, one of the things we understand from previous seminars that I have done is that the Gospels are a very accurate historical record of the life, ministry, and teachings of Jesus Christ. These are very early documents written mostly by eyewitnesses or their very close associates written in the lifetime of the eyewitnesses, in the generation of the eyewitnesses. Some of these documents are very early and we have good evidence and you'll have to listen to my other seminars or read my articles on the historical reliability of the Gospels. But what we have is indeed a very accurate historical record in the Gospels of the life, teaching, and ministry of Jesus Christ written in the lifetime of the eyewitnesses. And that early date is key because if Jesus did not say the things he said, if what the Gospel writers recorded are not the words of Jesus, if what the Gospel writers recorded is not the ministry and life of Jesus. If, as some hypothesize, Jesus was purely a fictional character, well, these are written in the lifetime of the eyewitnesses, both who were Christian and who were seeking others who were opponents of Christianity, seeking to destroy the testimony of Christianity, looking for every way to discredit the writings of the apostles and their teachings. 
And so the fact that these Gospels are written very early in the lifetime of the eyewitnesses who could have discredited their accounts as true or false, that's very important. And the opponents of Christ could not dispute the historical facts presented in the Gospels. If they were indeed false, opponents of the cross could have easily discredited these accounts and the Gospels would not have lasted till this day. Now, did Jesus proclaim he was the divine Son of God? Indeed, he did. He claimed to be the unique divine Son of God. This can be seen in several ways. First, Jesus claimed it. In the titles he used of himself, he claimed to be the unique divine Son of God. The title Christ or Messiah was taught that the Messiah to come, the Christ, would indeed be divine. And this was taught back in the Old Testament. For example, Isaiah 7.14 states, which is a prophecy of the coming Messiah, says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel. Now the child which is born, and so he will be human, but he has the title Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. So he's born of a virgin. He's human, but he has a supernatural birth, born of a virgin, and he has the name Emmanuel, God with us. Another famous prophecy is Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. Now, this prophecy states, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Therefore, the Messiah who is to come would be a child. He would be a son. He would be human. But he's given the titles of deity. The child is born will be called the Mighty God, or in the Hebrew, El Gibor. And it's never used of a man. Mighty God. That title is never used of man. It's used of God. And he is also called Father of Eternity or Everlasting Father. Avi Ad. It's literally translated Father of Eternity and could never be used to describe a mere man. So these prophecies in Isaiah speak of a child who's coming who will be human, but also divine. There's another one, Jeremiah 23, verses 5 and 6, states this, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up to David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and will do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called, the Lord, our righteousness. That's the title also used of God. This coming king, who would be a descendant of David, will be called the Lord our righteousness. And in fact, the word Lord there in the Hebrew is Yahweh, the tetragrammaton YHWH. So literally it reads Yahweh our righteousness. This ruler, the descendant of David, a king who will sit on David's throne, obviously is talking about the coming Messiah. His title will be Yahweh our righteousness. And here's another one you may be familiar with. Micah 5.2 predicts the city in which the Messiah would come. But it states this, But you, Bethlehem of Ephrathah, which art little to be among the thousands of Judah, 
Out of you shall come forth one that is to be the ruler in Israel, whose going forth are from old, from the ancient of days. Now, Jewish scholar Arnold Frutenbaum writes this, the Hebrew term for from long ago, or also translated from the days of eternity, are the strongest Hebrew words ever used for eternity past. Okay, in other words, this one who is coming to be born in Bethlehem, his origins are from eternity past. He is an eternal being that can only be said of God himself. That term, whose comings are from the ancient of days, is used of God the Father in Psalm 90, verse 2. So we have here in several of these prophecies in the Old Testament that the Messiah, the one who would come, the Christ, is indeed human, but also divine. Now, Psalm 45, verses 6 through 9, is another prophecy, but also within this psalm here, you see that within the Godhead, there are two persons. So as the doctrine of the Trinity teaches, there is one God revealed in three distinct persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And in Psalm 45, you see that there are at least two distinct persons here identified in Psalm 45, verses 6 through 9. Psalm 45, 6 through 9 says this, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is the scepter of uprightness. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with oil of gladness beyond your companions. The term Elohim, or God here in the Old Testament, is applied to two divine personalities in the same verse. You see that God the Son and God the Father are having a conversation here. Otherwise... What you have is a schizophrenic God talking to himself. And that doesn't make any sense. The second Elohim here is called the God of the first Elohim. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is the scepter of righteousness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you. It only makes sense in terms of the Messiah being God, the Son of God, as the other verses have shown. Finally, Zechariah 2, verses 10 through 11 states, Shout and be glad, O daughter of Zion, for I am coming, and I will live among you, declares the Lord. Many nations will be joined with the Lord in that day and will become my people. I will live among you, and you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. Once again, the Lord, the Hebrew there is Yahweh, is going to dwell among us, and it is the Lord Almighty that sent him. So the Lord Almighty sent the Lord who will dwell among us. This shows that Yahweh, the Lord, sent Yahweh. Only makes sense when you know that the Messiah, Jesus, is the divine Son of God. He is the one who lived among us, and he is, as Isaiah said, God with us. Now, the Old Testament prophesies, therefore, from all these verses and many others, that the Messiah who is to come, the prophesied Messiah, would be human, but also divine. And Jesus understood himself to be the fulfillment of these prophecies. He understood himself to be Christ or the Messiah. 
In John chapter 4, Jesus has that famous dialogue with the Samaritan woman at the well. And they go through this dialogue and she discovers, wait a minute, this man is more than a teacher. He is a prophet. In fact, he is more than a prophet. And she says this to him in verse 25. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus replied to her and said, I who speak to you am he. Jesus declared himself to be the Messiah, the Christ. He took that title onto himself. He understood the claim and he understood himself to be Christ, the divine son of God. Another one is in Peter's confession. Perhaps one of the clearer recordings of that is in Matthew 16. And here is Peter's famous confession when Jesus asked the disciples, Who do you say that I am? And perhaps one of the most vivid accounts here is in Matthew chapter 16. When Jesus asked the disciples, Who do you say that I am? Peter responded, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus readily accepts that title and confession from Peter. Jesus responds, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Jesus accepted Peter's confession and understood himself to be the Christ, as Peter said, the Son of the living God. And then we also have in Matthew chapter 11. And in this account, the disciples of John come to Jesus. At this time, John is in prison and he asked Jesus the question, are you the Christ or are we to look for another? And Jesus gives this response. He's quoting from Isaiah 35 and Isaiah 61. He says to John's disciples, go tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed. And the dead are raised up, and the poor have the good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Jesus is quoting the messianic prophecies from Isaiah 35 and Isaiah 61. These are things that was prophesied that the Messiah would do. And in fact, we have some ancient documents known as the Dead Sea Scrolls. That were written about a century before Christ set foot upon the earth. And in several of those documents, there's one, if you want to go look it up, 4Q521. And it lists the very things the Messiah would do and the things that Jesus stated here in Matthew chapter 11 are the things also recorded in the Dead Sea Scrolls that the Jews knew. These are things that the Messiah would do. So when you saw someone doing these signs... In accord with Isaiah 35, Isaiah 61, the Jewish community understood these are indeed the signs that the Messiah would be doing. And the commentary from the Dead Sea Scrolls confirmed that this is indeed the signs of the Messiah of which the Jews were waiting for. Finally, in the triumphal entry, in the third year of Jesus' ministry, when he's entering into Jerusalem, he enters in, and Matthew records this in chapter 21 of his gospel. In Matthew 21, Jesus tells his disciples to go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, 
The Lord needs them, and He will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Jesus understood that he was indeed fulfilling the messianic prophecy of the Messiah. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. That is how the Messiah would come into Jerusalem. And so Jesus quotes messianic prophecies. He accepts the title of Christ, the Son of God, or the Messiah. Christ understood he was fulfilling messianic prophecies. All this shows that Christ understood himself to be the Messiah who was understood and prophesied in the Old Testament to be the divine Son of God. Then Jesus' enemies also understood his claim to be the Messiah, the divine Son of God. In Mark chapter 14, when Jesus was on trial, the Pharisees asked Jesus, Are you the Messiah? Are you the Son of the Blessed One? This accusation shows that Jesus was on trial for his claims to be the Messiah, the divine Son of God. And to their question, Jesus responds, I am, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And it is at Jesus' response, it says the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witness do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. They ask him directly, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? And Jesus doesn't deny it. He says, I am. And he quotes a messianic passage from Daniel chapter 7. And to this, the Pharisees understood Jesus' response. They tore their clothes and accused him of blasphemy. They understood what Jesus was saying there. So it can't be any clearer that Jesus understood himself to be the Messiah, the divine Son of God. Now, another term Jesus used of himself, but rarely, was the term Son of God. He used it in John 10, verse 36, and he acknowledged his truthfulness when it was used by others of him, as in Matthew chapter 26, verse 63 to 64. Now, the phrase Son of can mean offspring of, but it also carries the meaning of the order of. For example, in the Old Testament, when someone was said to be the sons of the prophets, it meant that he came in the order of the prophets, or the sons of the singers meant he came in the order of the singers. So the designation son of God when used of the Lord means of the order of God and is a strong and clear claim of Christ being deity, the divine Son of God. For this reason, Jesus declares in John chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, that all must honor the Son as they honor the Father. That would be a blasphemous thing to say, to honor a man as they honor God the Father, unless Jesus were and understood himself to be the divine Son of God. In Mark chapter 12, Jesus tells the story of the parable of the wicked tenants. Now, the vineyard and the vineyard takers represents the nation of Israel, and God is the owner. And here, the vineyard owner goes away, representing God, and leaves the vineyard in the hands of his tenant. And here in this story, it states that the owner sent servants 
to his vineyard workers to see how they were doing and to collect the income that his vineyard brought. But each servant he sent, it says that they sent him away empty-handed or they beat him and mistreated them and treated them shamefully. And finally in verse 5 he says, And he sent another and they killed him. And so with many others they beat and some they killed. He still had one other, a beloved son. Finally he sent him saying, They will respect my son. Jesus here in this parable shows that the son is distinct from all the other servants. The servants who went are the prophets to Israel. And Jesus thought of himself and taught himself as God's only son, as distinct from the other prophets, distinct from the other servants. He was the vineyard owner's only son, distinct from the other servants. And Jesus was showing the distinction here. He is distinct from the prophets. He is God's one and only son. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 27, Jesus makes this phrase. He says, no one knows the son except the father. Jesus saw himself as the only son of God and the only revelation of God the father to mankind. Jesus taught as God's unique son, he had the exclusive authority to reveal the father to men as no one else could. So here Jesus is using the title Son of God, declaring himself to be the Son, the one and only, the unique Son in the order, having the very nature of God, coming to reveal God to mankind. So Jesus uses the title Son of God, but one of his most popular titles is also the Son of Man. And this title is used 84 times in the four Gospels but only by Jesus and only to speak of himself. Now, by using the title, the definite article, the, the Son of Man, Jesus was directing attention to the divine human figure prophesied in Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14. Now, in this vision, Daniel says, I saw one like a son of man who came to the Ancient of Days and was given dominion and glory and kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting kingdom. Now, in this prophecy, or in this vision that Daniel has, it's striking that this Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven. So he is of heavenly origin. He was also given an eternal rule over the whole world, an eternal rule over all creation. That's the dominion and glory that belong to God alone. And the high priest did not miss the point of this passage. When Jesus said in Matthew 26, when he was on trial, Hereafter you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of God and coming with the clouds of heaven. The Pharisees and the high priests understood Jesus was quoting indeed Daniel chapter 7. The reference to Daniel 7 verses 13 and 14 was unmistakable. And the high priest and his council knew that Jesus was claiming to be the eternal world ruler of heavenly origin spoken of in Daniel's vision. That's why they immediately replied and said he has uttered blasphemy. He deserves death. Here Jesus 
makes an explicit and strong claim to the eternal world rule that were earlier hinted at in his frequent use of the title the Son of Man which he applied to himself. Another title that Jesus used of himself is Lord. Matthew 22 verse 44, Jesus quotes Psalm 110 verse 1 where it states, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I put your enemies under your feet. Now, the force of this statement is that God the Father said to God the Son, David's Lord, sit at my right hand. The Pharisees know he is talking about himself and identifying himself as the one worthy of the Old Testament title Kurios or Lord. Another title that Jesus used of himself is I am. Remember when God visited Moses at the burning bush and Moses asked the Lord, What is your name? The Lord replied, I am. This concludes part one of Pat's message on the self-understanding of Jesus. I'm sure you found this teaching valuable and helpful. If you would like to listen to this message again along with other messages from Pat, log on at evidenceandanswers.org. Pat's ministry relies on the generous donations from you, our listeners. If you've been blessed by the show, would you support Pat in prayer and with a financial gift by logging on at evidenceandanswers.org. Join us again next week as Pat continues to present evidence for faith and answers to tough questions about Jesus Christ. Evidence and Answers radio show is brought to you by our key sponsor, Highland Capital Management. Providing investors with alternative investment solutions for more than 20 years. To learn more, please visit their website at hcmlp.com. Join us here next week or on the web for more evidence and answers. <laughs>